Um, are you ready to study the scriptures? So am I. Would you please say what's up to Pastor Ross? <laughs> what's, what's up? Nice. That's very nice. Uh, I'm so glad to be here with you today, and uh, what, what a great time of worship. I'm so grateful for Marty and the whole team. What, let's give them a huge hand. Really awesome. I don't know if you saw Marty walk out, but he's so into it, he sweats. Anyway, so was sweating through his shirt. It was awesome. Um, so, so let's uh, get our Bibles out, and let's turn to... Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, you can follow along, of course, in your message notes. Um, we started a series last week called DNA, and we're talking about the, the way that our church is wired, the very fabric of life that runs through one chapel, and we're revisiting some very important concepts, because as we go through, we go into a, a season that I think we're going to birth some new things, which is what's kind of ahead. The next two or three weeks, you do not want to miss church because there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, new things that are going to uh, be unfolding uh, in front of us. And, and whenever you go through a season of transition, you want to revisit the, the very important bedrock truths uh, of your culture. And so last week we talked about presence and the presence of God and how we are the carriers of that presence. And uh, everywhere we go, uh, we make sacred places, sorry, we make secular places sacred. And so we turn, turn a, a secular e entity or somewhere where we're just working or going to school, but suddenly uh, Jesus is working, he's doing something, he's whispering to our hearts to help another person or to love another person well or to minister to them. Uh, that turns it into a sacred moment and a sacred space. And so uh, you can listen to that on the podcast. And today we're going to revisit the idea of relationships. Relationship. Everything that one chapel strives to do is through the lens of relationships. Relationships are the carriers, I think, of the kingdom. As people grow in who they are in Christ, and as we, as we do things that are helpful in, in growing people and forming us spiritually into Christ's image, I think relationships is the way it works. And so, you know, all of us have some friends, but so, sometimes, we, sometimes we don't choose friends too well. I don't know if you've ever had these types of friends. There's some, there's, some, there's some really bad kinds of friends out there. I don't know if you're aware of this. You got people like um, Tentative Tommy. Tentative Tommy is kind of like, he's, um, he really, he's always, he suffers from a condition and the condition is called FOMO. Do you know what FOMO is? Who knows what FOMO is? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you do. It's fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. And what, what Tommy does is he never commits to anything so that he can have the opportunity to do whatever he wants to do at any given moment. It's fear of missing out. So you don't respond to requests. You don't make plans. You, don't, you, you, you just wait, 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 and then you do whatever you want to do. You want to have all the options at your disposal. It's a condition. It's actually a deal. Look it up. But then you got, I mean, this person is probably worse than... Tommy, it's a negative Nancy. Negative Nancy, always pointing her finger, always accusing, always negative about everything, just being so, so mean. And, and it's, it's funny when you think about negative Nancy, every storm, it could be a tsunami. You get every winning lottery ticket could mean bankruptcy. No good news deserves to go untrampled. Negative Nancy, not to be confused with the, maybe the 
more well-known Negative Nelly. Uh, this is Negative Nelly. She's <laughs> really mean, really mean. But nobody compares to <laughs> Debbie Downer, <laughs> right? <laughs> Everything is bad. Everything is negative. And so there, we, we have these friends, and these are the worst kinds of friends to have. Uh, there's the, there's the one-upper, the one-upper. You, you tell a story, they always got to tell a story. Always got to tell a story that's better. It beats your story anytime. Then there's the constant critic. The constant critic. You never, we never, you never want to be these people. You never want to be these. We don't want to be these people. One chapel can never be these kinds of friends. We have to be the people that love God and love other people. Jesus talked about this, of course, in Mark 12, uh, verse 28 to 31. Let's read the story here. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is Deuteronomy 6. Jesus is quoting here and he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This fall, we're going to participate in something called Love Where You Live. Over 250 churches are going to share this, initi this initiative, and we're going we're to love the neighborhoods that we live in, and we're going to develop the art of neighboring. And it's a pretty cool idea, and the thing that's happening in the body of Christ within our city, to really do what Jesus said, because what Jesus is saying here is pretty profound. I don't know, if you have kids, you probably went this last week you, you got your school supplies. You know, you're, you're looking for your school supplies and there's a big printout that all the elementary uh, schools give you. And, uh, you know, the printout is ridiculous. It's just like so long. And if you have multiple kids, of course, you've got to go find everything. So you're, so you're fighting the people at Walmart to figure out where everything is at. And they're all there, all the moms, all the dads. They're all got their papers. They're all looking around. You can't find a thing. I told my wife, I said, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> This is crazy. We're ordering everything on Amazon.com and to be done with it. There's a thing, though, that Jesus, and in a similar way, right, like this huge long list, if it could just be boiled down to something really simple, right? In a similar way, Jesus does this to the entire history of Scripture. And he does something. He boils all the rules, all the laws all the ideas, all the prophecies, he boils it down to two relationships. Two relationships. Loving God, the first relationship, and loving people, the second relationship that's so important. And I think they're important because I think this is how the, the, the kingdom of God and the love of Christ is transmitted and transferred between us. Christianity cannot be practiced as an individualized, isolated spirituality. It can't be practiced that way. It's not made to be practiced that way. It is a communal faith. It is a faith that requires us to love our neighbor. It is a faith, it's a faith that requires us to engage with people in a deep, vulnerable, and healthy level. And so we're going to talk today about how to do that how to make sure 
that one chapel has a value, that everyone in our community has a value for relationships, being the, the secret to the kingdom of God opening up in a person's heart and life. And, and so we're going we're gonna to start here uh, in John 13, 34. Here's what Jesus said. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's funny. Everybody seems to love God, but nobody likes his family. Right? Nobody likes his family. because the pe- Why? Because the people are flawed in his family. I mean, um, it's, it's like a liking, liking people. We're, we're not, I mean, if it was just about dealing with the people we like, like if I, if I just dealt with the people we, I like in my church, the church would be a lot smaller. <laughs> right, but that's not what we're called to. We're called to love people just as they are. And then, and then draw them into a relationship with God and then walk with them. And, and I know, you, we, you know we, we tend to show up at a connect group or we land on a team somewhere. We're looking around. We're like, ooh, I don't know if I like these people. Here's the thing. I think God puts relationships into the heart of a person and into a community of life. And it won't always be your favorite person, but if you will... If you will invest in relationships, you will find fruit in your own life and fruit in their life that you never saw coming. There's something so powerful about loving a person who needs love, who needs to be loved, who, who maybe has real damage in their own soul, and God's calling you to help heal that damage. That's who we are. That's what we do. Jesus said they, people in the world would understand that we follow him if we just love each other well. So here's what I want to challenge you to do, One Chapel. I want you to love each other well so that you can love your neighbor well. So how do we, how do we grow a healthy, strong, and vibrant relationships? Number one, we're just going to look at a few ideas. Number one, we make Jesus our first relationship. How do you become a really good friend? How do, you, how do you build life-giving relationships? You make Jesus your first relationship. And this, listen, this, this works whether you're talking about your family relationships, your work relationships, you're talking about your career, you're talking about your friends. These principles are what the Bible teaches about relationships. Look at what John 15, 15 says. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. What Jesus is saying here is, I want to make everything that I know known to you. I want to give you everything. The Father has told me everything, and now I'm going to, I'm going to give you access to all of that. I want you to know what I know. I, he, Jesus isn't going to hide from us. He's, he doesn't want you to hide from him. He wants an established relationship where we're interacting with Jesus much as if we would interact with our best friend. If you interact with your best friend, if, if I think about my life, my best friend is my wife, Amy. And it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to marry your best friend. And what we do is we talk to each other in the morning. I check in with her throughout the day. And then I, we talk before bed. 
And there's a, there's, a, there's a flow of our life, and sometimes it's really busy. When I was a younger man, more inexperienced as a husband, I would go off to work and not call her, no matter what. And if the thing went long or the meeting went long, I, I wouldn't call her. I'd just like, yeah, she'll be fine. Gentlemen, you should call her. <laughs> now, listen, when, I, when I was a young man, we didn't have texting, all right? You, now you can just text her and tell her, I'm going to be late, and then she can give you an emoji that's really angry. <laughs> but it's a lot easier to navigate that way, I think. Um, so, uh, so I talked, I, I mean, in the mornings we'll, we'll talk, I'll say goodbye to her in the morning unless I'm leaving really early or whatever and she's still sleeping. But, but I check in with her throughout the day and I think this is how Jesus wants, to tr- wants us to treat him and wants to treat us. Every morning we need to meet with him. Every morning. And then we check in with him throughout the day. And then we lay down on our bed at night and he's the last person we talk to. And so I think this is a, this, when we do this with Christ, when we do this with Jesus, he does something in us and makes us strong. He gives us identity. We find our identity in that relationship that we have with him and it makes us a stronger person, makes us a, a stronger Christian. It, it challenges us to live in a way that honors him and he's all about loving people. He's all about taking care of others, and that'll start to get into you. Matthew 6, it's a famous verse. If you've been in church any amount of time, you might have heard it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? All these things will be added to you as well. Everything will be taken care of. Just, just make sure you're seeking him first. And so Jesus, a relationship with Jesus actually cures FOMO. It actually cures being afraid of missing out on something because Jesus is going to make sure you don't miss out on anything because he's telling you everything the Father knows. He wants to share everything with you. He wants you to know everything that he's doing, and he wants to share everything you're doing with him. It's a powerful relationship. So our relationship with Jesus begins to determine all our relationships. Relationships with Jesus determine all our relationships. It defines our priorities. It defines who we're supposed to be in relationship with, and he leads us and guides us. Number two, if you want to have strong relationships, you want to build healthy relationships, you, you really have to, we all have to learn the art of initiation. We have to learn the art of initiation. I don't think we're very skilled at this as a church and maybe not even as a culture in America, right? The art of initiation is, it can be difficult. Here's what Proverbs says, Verse uh, 24 of chapter 18, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's something about friendship that we have to initiate in. Very often, we wait for other people to initiate. What I'm telling you is as the people of God, we cannot wait for other people to initiate. We have to be the initiators. And so why don't we do it? Why don't we initiate? Well, I think the first reason probably is, is that they, we think they won't like me. They won't like me. You know, I'm kind of weird and I talk kind of funny and I don't know if they'll like me. And so we let that fear keep us. We let that fear keep us from initiating. In fact, what we do is we let that fear keep us from experiencing a kingdom of God moment, potentially. 
Because if we carry the presence of God around everywhere we go, then your initiation, your, you, when you initiate, we're not just, it's not just about you. It's about them, and it's about what Jesus is doing. And so you'll find that very often it won't be as bad as you think it will. Don't fear. Second reason is that we think, I won't like them. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't, want to, I don't want to go to that small group. I don't like them. I don't know. Maybe Jesus wants you to hang out with people you don't like. Number three, I don't have time. I don't have time. People, this is the, this is the thing. I'm so busy. I just can't cram another thing in. Well, what I, what I want to challenge you in is if you don't have enough margin in your life, margin, you know, that there's extra time and extra finances, right? You got to, we've got to get those areas of our lives in control. And when those areas control us, we don't have time to initiate. We're, we, we're just like, I, I don't have time for another person in my life. I think as God's people, we have to initiate relationship. And certainly we have to do it within this community of one chapel. But God, I think, calls us to do it in our neighborhoods, and he calls us to do it at our workplaces. And I think we have to have listening ears, and we have to have open hearts to be able to do this. It's an art form, people. It does, it's, there's, there's, no, there's not necessarily a, an exact science to it. It's an art form. You learn how to do it by doing it. And, um, you know, I think when, when, we, when we want to approach someone, we go through this process in our, in our minds. I'd just like to say simplify it. Just invite somebody over for coffee. Hey, hey, I, I, how about let's cap, grab coffee together and, and, and let's, let's tell our story a little bit. Tell me what's going on in your life. Hey, after church, let's go to lunch. You want to go to lunch with us? It'd be great. I want you to think about how God wants us to initiate. My son, Zachary, when he was a little boy, he's 20 years old now, but when he was about five years old, I remember being on this vacation. And we were on vacation together with family, and we had a huge group walking down the streets. We were vacationing in Breckenridge, Colorado, I think. And we're walking down the streets, and, and, and he's kind of walking in front, and he sees a kid with a bike. And he runs over, and he, and he says to the kid, hey, you want to be friends? It's amazing how kids can just, like, be friends. Like, they're not worried about it at all. Hey, you want to be friends? And the little kid said, sure. And then Zachary said, well, give me the bike. <laughs> very, very often, we try to initiate out of our needs or our wants or trying to get something from that person. It never works. Right? We, have to, we, have to, we have to learn the art of initiation to make ourselves available, to, to open up our lives to others. Number three, we have to develop the skill of listening. The skill of listening. James 2.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Did you hear that? Quick to listen. Say it. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Most of us listen to another person forming our rebuttal in our minds. What I want to challenge you to do today as a person, as a, a person who follows Jesus, is to listen to people with empathy. Is to listen to their story. Listen for what's going on behind the scenes. And to do that, you're going to have to ask more questions. 
You're going to have to, you're going to, have to open up to them and, and you're going to have to allow them to speak without interrupting. Just let them tell their story. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a trick here that I learned a long time ago, five little magic words to get people to talk a little bit more about what you're asking them. And here it is. It's, ooh, tell me more about that. I mean, you can, they can be talking about anything, and you just say, hmm, tell me more about that. I have, I have yet to find a person that will say no. <laughs> they just launch into something. Tell me more about that. Be a listener. If you want to have good relationships, you've got to listen and not talk all the time. God's design comes into play here, and it's very clear. If you're going to be a listener, you've got, you got to understand this. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Two ears, one mouth. Listen twice as much as you speak. Good friends listen to each other. Bad friends want to tell you everything that they know. Number four, unleash the power of encouragement. Unleash the power of encouragement. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you really felt that someone encouraged you? When was the last time somebody came up to you and just started saying, what, a, what an amazing person you are and what gifts you have? It's really awesome. It's amazing. Thank you for being who you are. I fear that our culture we don't have a culture of encouragement. We have a culture that we live in that has cynicism at its core, skepticism. Um, I think we as God's people have to be the people of encouragement. That we're not discouraging people, but we're encouraging people. That we're listening and then we're encouraging them in their walk, in their faith, in their life. That we are people who will speak life into other people. This is our calling. This is what we're supposed to do. Only, the only words we use are words that are helpful for building people up, helping to lift people up out of the muck and mire of their own lives and out of the damage that's in their soul. I can't tell you how powerful encouragement is. I see it in my kids. I see it in my kids, and I, I, I've done this to every one of them. From time to time, I just take them, and when they're little, I grab their head. Well, let's be honest. Even when they're teenagers, I grab their head, and they, they don't really like it. But they like it when they're little, but they don't like it when they're big. But I just grabbed them, and I looked them in the eye, and I said, you are an amazing person. I am so proud of you. I believe in you. I love you deeply. That's all. We say it too much in passing. We need to make a, a commitment to unleash the power of encouragement in our... Listen, when people are encouraged, they can do things you never thought they could do. There's nothing like encouragement on the basketball court. Right? When people hear encouragement, you miss a shot, it's all right, come on, shoot it. You're, you got it. It's, it's, gonna, it's coming, come on. You can do this. You see a basketball player. All my kids, almost all my kids played basketball. And there's something when they hear dad in the stands shouting good encouragement, it does something to them. This is who we need to be as God's people. Encouragement is in and of itself a gift. 
So we need to be more proactive at encouraging each other so that we're highlighting, listen to this, highlighting the best of each other instead of the worst. You know what gossip is? Gossip is talking about the worst of people. You know, gossip, gossip is forbidden in the scripture. What we have to do is talk about the best of people. And we have to encourage them in what they have and, and the best of each of us, the, drawing out the best in each of us and offering the best of each of us to one another. Number five, finally, is living in f- the freedom of forgiveness. Living in the freedom of forgiveness. I think this is something God calls us to, and it's, this is like one of those root things in our, in our Christian walk that we've got to have a handle on. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus himself says it in Matthew 9. He teaches the disciples how to, or sorry, Matthew 6, and he teaches the disciples how to pray. And then at the end of it, he says, forgive one another. Because if you don't forgive each other for their sins, if you don't forgive another person their sins, then I'm not going to forgive you your sins. It is a mandatory ingredient in life with Jesus. And we have to walk in it. Why are relationships so hard? I mean, let's just ask the question. Why does it seem so hard to build relationships? Everybody's afraid of being hurt. If you look at our culture, we live in a divorce culture. We live where broken relationships are the norm. We live in a culture that's so cynical and critical and, and technological that we're, we're not investing here. And sometimes people will hurt you. When you do invest, there's a risk. Every relationship has a risk. No doubt. Here's what I say, though. God took a risk on you in sending his son, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus says is we should risk, risk it on others. Because he, because he took everything upon himself, all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our mistakes, he, and he forgave us. We have to turn and pay it forward and forgive people who offend us. And so living in the freedom of forgiveness is simply, I mean, it's, it is not just forgetting. It's not trying to forget. You might remember the violation, but forgiveness is not forgetting. It's, it's not ignoring something. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a decision to withhold your judgment, that you're not going to become the judge for them, no matter who they are. That there is only one judge, and his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the only one who understands justice the way it should be, and the way it should be doled out. And here's what happens when, when Christians, when believers, if they don't understand, if they don't embrace the idea that God is the judge, then they want retribution. When you want revenge, what you're saying is, God, God's, God's justice isn't good enough for me. I've got to take revenge. Bible says that it's, that's God's place. God's place to, to take revenge. God's place to evaluate. God's the judge. You and I are supposed to love people and lay our lives down for them and serve them and forgive them when they fail. And we can do it because we've been forgiven. I love this quote from George Washington Carver. He says, I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. I will never, never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. Here's the thing. If you choose not to forgive someone, it never hurts them. It really poisons you. Creates bitterness. 
It, it creates damage in your own soul. But we are, so we are not people who hold grudges. We forgive. We are not the kind of people to take, who seek revenge on anyone. We want the love of Christ to meet them right where they're at no matter what they've done. We're the kind of people who are forgiven and so we freely give what we've received. People have all kinds of wounds that they're dealing with. They, have, they struggle to forgive. But Jesus can heal your heart. Jesus can show you what it looks like to have healthy, vulnerable, strong relationships that feed the kingdom of God in your life. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head and I want you to, I want you to think about two relationships. As we come to the Lord's table, we're, I want you to think about the two relationships that are really important in your life that may not be right. Think about your relationship with God. Is it strong? Is it healthy? Is it vulnerable? The first thing we have to repair is that. We're going to come to the Lord's table right now. And during our time at the Lord's table, this is the moment where you can say to God, I'm so sorry. I've been just insisting on my own way. I haven't invested in a relationship with you, but I want to. Lord, would you come and meet me right here? Can I tell you that because of what Jesus did on a cross 2,000 years ago and took the, the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders and he was placed in a tomb and then the power of the Holy Spirit raised him to life, because of that, you and I can know God in an intimate, relational way. Maybe you might think about the second relationship in your life. Maybe there's a person that you're not right with. There's something wrong. There's a wound, there's a, there's a hurt. Maybe it's a, f a father wound. Maybe it's an ex-husband or wife. Maybe it's a, a teacher, a boss. Maybe, it, maybe it's a person in this room. Maybe, maybe it's a pastor that has hurt you and wounded you. Can I challenge you to make it right with, in your heart with both those relationships today? Make a decision. Make a decision to begin healthy strong, vibrant relationships that carry the kingdom into your life and into others. Father, we pray as we come to the table now that you would illuminate every concern, every anxiety, every fear, every frustration, every hurt, every wound. You'd reveal those to us and then we would offer them to you. We'd lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Father, we we want to be right with you, and so we turn to you. We ask you to forgive us, heal us, and cleanse us. We turn to you. We don't turn away from you. Show us what it means to have a life-giving, loving relationship with you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.